This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. There's many ways to experience and enjoy history, and this week's episode is taking a deep dive with Dave Boussier, the owner and founder of TR Historical, about his experience running a history-based retail store. From an online shop to vendor stalls, Dave will talk us through the experience and provide us some insight in how to make history fun, engaging, and marketable to many audiences. This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're excited to be joined by Dave Bussier, who is the owner and founder of TR Historical. We're going to be talking about what that means, um, and more to the point for this audience, how he has effectively been able to turn history into a product and get people excited about the past um, through his business. Um, but before we get there, let's uh, learn a little bit more about um, Dave. So where'd you grow up and what was your path to working in history? I know a little bit of the background in this and it wasn't um, a direct path. So I think people will find that kind of interesting. How did it all come about? Yeah, thanks, Nick. And, and let me just say, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, I'm really excited to share how TR Historical engages uh, fans of history. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. My path towards this position was not what I would say your traditional one um, in the history field. I actually came from about 20 years in corporate business. Um, but as a as a boy, history was always my passion. It was always what kind of drew my heart. And, you know, as I got older and had a family and, and realized that the lifestyle of the, the corporate business was financially lucrative, but, you know, not, not the type of lifestyle that I was looking for, um, I decided to make a change. And, and I always said that I wanted to get into history. That's what I would always do. Um, but what I found was, since I didn't have the academic history, my degrees was in business, um, that it was difficult to make the crossover, you know, into the field. Every job I applied for called for a degree in history, not business operations, accounting, finance, marketing, et cetera. So, so I struggled to try and break into the field and decided, you know what, I have the experience. Let me just take what I learned, combine it with what I love and create my own job in history. And the rest is history. Right. So that's how I started TR Historical. So let's talk about um, TR Historical. So for people who aren't mm -hmm. familiar with it, um, and you guys do a hell of a job of, of branding and marketing. So if you're into history, you'd be, you'd be hard pressed not to come across it. But, um, you know, where the name come from? What, how did the product line develop? What was so you go from, okay, uh, corporate life is, is lucrative, but maddening. And so I'm yes. going to, I'm going to go in this direction. What, how do you, how do you launch that? And how do you come about, um, with this concept? Well, um, I would say that, you know, starting any business in whatever field you're in takes a bit of bravery, courage, and, and persistence, right? Um, what I found was, um, well, well, let me back up a, a little bit, if I could, and just just share a story with you of kind of how I stumbled upon the idea. Um, while I was still in corporate, I took a tour um, with another large company. Uh, you know, I won't name the name, but it was a big entertainment company, and and they were teaching us how they kept their employees motivated and engaged. And they asked us a question. It was really interesting. They said, "What do you think 
motivates our people, you know, our employees. They had they they're well known for having a very highly engaged staff. And um, we all said things like monetary benefits, bonuses, things like that. And the answer was actually branded merchandise. And I never forgot that. And so mm-hmm. when it came to, yeah, I was I was quite surprised. But what the employees really wanted was was merchandise that had the company brand on it or the subject matter that the company dealt with. And, and like I said, it was entertainment. So it was pretty, you know, um, fun, you know, to be involved in. So what I what I tried was maybe people that love history would really enjoy and, and engage and be passionate about history more if they had products to showcase that passion. So I tested it out and um, it seemed to work. And then the other theory I had was that the, the fan of history may not just be locked into one particular theme of history. And this is what differentiates TR Historical a little bit, is that our product line is vast. Uh, We don't just deal with American history. We range in everything from prehistory and ancient history all the way to about the Cold War. Um, We have a significant portfolio of science history and art history. Um, And the history customer I found has has a broad interest in all of those subjects. So when people ask me, you know, what's your favorite subject in history, Dave, I I I'm hard pressed to answer that, you know. So, and my customer um, cart, you know, their purchases kind of reflect the same. So, what's the what's the? I'm curious. What was your first product? I mean, obviously you have a product line, but what was the first one that you kind of were like, this one's going to sell. I'm 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 ready to roll. And did it did it work out? You know, talk about that persistence of business. Were you right in that in that first item that you came up with? Yeah, yeah. The the first item was really t-shirts. Um, t-shirts were kind of easy to get into. Um, you know, you can test out. Uh, there's there's a lot of customer base for that. Um, and particularly, we started with the American Revolution, um, you know, being a U.S.-based company and, and located in the Northeast. There's a, a lot of interest in that because we're in that, that area, um, that theater. Uh, and it, it went pretty well. Um, one of the things about TR Historical, too, is that we don't necessarily design and produce all of the products ourselves. There's a lot of, of great small businesses and companies and designers out there that have great ideas that we work with and bring in. So I have a portfolio of about 80 vendors that I pull from to help supply my merchandise brand. Um, and so that has allowed us to expand and bring in products from all different um, themes quickly because designing a product may take six months to a year in production, but bringing a product in that's already been done by somebody else and working as a partner, I can have that done in a couple of weeks and try it out um, and see if it works. So what's the, uh, what was the, the first t-shirt revolutionary war? Is it, is it, do you still sell it? Yeah. I think the first one we brought in was um, it was the Boston tea party tea, which has uh, cross hatchets on it. And it says 1773. And we thought that was really interesting, um, and we brought that in from a partner of ours uh, because it was a great conversation piece because a lot of people just equate everything from the American Revolution to 1776. Um, But being the Boston Tea Party in 1773, a lot of people are like, hey, what does that mean? And it gives that customer the opportunity to kind of share a little bit of history. And you'll find that a lot of our products are like that. They're, they're, They're witty, they're conversational starters. They may be subtle history, not like in your face history. Um, and it gives that person that wears it uh, just that opportunity to kind of showcase their love for it. 
So I think there's a lot of like lessons in here for people who run historic sites, who run preservation mm-hmm. groups, and they're trying to kind of um, democratize history and get people excited mm-hmm. about it. And I think sometimes people get scared about um, uh, marketing things, uh, and it feels like maybe in the nonprofit world we're not supposed to do that, but of course we are. And you guys have really done an amazing job of sort of not only marketing the brand, but marketing um, you know history in general. What, what what have you kind of learned over this period of time in marketing history? What works? What doesn't work? Um, and what what methods are you using that you know are are really successful? Um, well, what I would say is, you know, I sell merchandise, but the theory behind it could be applied to anything. It, merchandise. I, I went the merchandise route because that was the experience that I brought to the table. I was in corporate retail, right? But the lessons here are applicable for all the different, well, let's just say, departments um, that are necessary to run an organization. Um, and I think, you know, one of the main lessons that I learned, um, and this is this is not a new, you know, I'm not I'm not coining a new philosophy here. This is a standard lesson in business is that you have to be able to change and adapt to be relevant, right? So if you are a retailer like Kmart or Sears that has been around for a long, long, long time, and you keep doing the same thing that you've been doing and you don't change and adapt to what your customers are looking for, then eventually you're going to lose your customer base, right? You're going to lose the interest. You're not going to be innovative and new. And I think that lesson is something that everybody can take and no matter what industry or business you're in, and even if it's not a business, I think that um, customers or visitors or attendees today are looking for things that are a little bit different than necessarily the traditional things that you'd find maybe 50 years ago. And, um, you know, I, I always remember when I first started and I would engage people and do my business research before starting my business that... I commonly heard things like attendance is down or not as many people are interested in history or, you know, et cetera, whatever it was. And I kept thinking to myself, well, that's strange because, you know, Hollywood keeps putting out all these movies that are history themed and and history gaming is like one of the biggest subjects out there when you look at multimedia platforms and even apps and and little iPhone games are, are full of them. So, um, I think it depends on how you engage your audience or your customer. Um, and you have to be open to adapting and new ideas. It doesn't mean that the traditional base isn't important, but you have to listen to what people are looking for and be able to adapt. And I would say that um, you know maybe the being open to other uh, experience from outside the field would be an advantage there. Because if you're in a business, you're not always relying on internal growth. You're you're also relying on recruiting the best talent from all kinds of industries and businesses. And I think that if I was in an organization and not doing merchandising, I would look for that too, um, because you can bring a lot of skill sets to the table. So the nuts and bolts of the marketing, it's is it a completely mm-hmm. online presence? Um, and is that by design? And then how are you reaching reaching people online, people who are maybe interested in sort of the nuts and bolts of how it actually works? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Nick. The, the social media and the online, uh, I'll call it attachment to our customer base is, is the backbone of how we reach our customers. Um, and the, the, the business was designed that way intentionally. I mean, TR Historical was founded in 2018. So 
you don't start a retail business in 2018 with a brick and mortar backbone. You know, e-commerce is the way to go. So what we did was kind of focus on growing it through uh, means like uh, Facebook, Instagram, the social media apps, and being able to connect with customers that way. Little touch points. We we try not to. Um, we try to take a kind of a shotgun approach to marketing um, to do a little bit here and there and not invest the whole budget in one thing um, because we've been very surprised with where we connect with our customers the best. And podcasts are a great example of that. You know, um, when we first started, uh, I don't think podcasts were really on our radar from a marketing perspective. But in, in engaging with folks like you, we found we've been able to really reach our specialty customers effectively. Um, so we, we try to, to reach out that way. Um, so that's a, that is a huge piece of it. Um, now, the other thing we do is we also have a large his, uh, wholesale and distribution portfolio with museums and historic sites, which allows us to get our engaging products to customers through other institutions and also help them kind of invigorate and, and enrich you know their merchandise selection to help them grow financially too. So if someone's listening and they run a historic site, they could actually contact you about helping them kind of build out a better museum oh, absolutely. Uh, store. So yep. that's a that's a big component of the work as well. And, and it doesn't, I guess that doesn't always fall into the TR brand. Um, they may right. sell things and people not even aware that it's TR. Is that true too? Sure, sure. I mean, I would say that most of the sites that we that we work with have no complaints about having it, the TR brand in their, their shop. I mean, it, some of them have actually physically requested it. Um, so that's, that's not a problem, but we, we work custom, you know, packaging and different things for, for whatever the sites are looking for. Um, because, you know, we, we started this, this business to engage customers in history, not necessarily to sell t-shirts. Right. Right. So this is just the route that we go. And if that means that we, we also have a strong value in giving back and helping historic sites be successful and, and museums be successful. Um, and I've I've met a lot of people through conferences and, and um, in-person events that have really reached out and said, hey, you've got a great a great idea here. How can we work together to help my site be more engaging in the merchandise front with customers. So we've got a, a lot of that. The challenge the past two years has been supply chain. So we kind of pumped the brakes on opening up and really promoting the wholesale branch because we haven't been able to keep up with demand. But I think lately, you know, we're ready to open the doors on that much more. And, you know, when it comes to social and you talked about sort of has to be scattershot, you're kind of everywhere how often are you jumping on new platforms? So like, are you on TikTok now? And do you feel like you kind of have to be there? And and how do you play that whack-a-mole? Do you guys internally manage it? And I mean, in scale mm -hmm. of TR, how big of an operation are we talking about now? I mean, I know you have your independent contractors, you're doing design and stuff like that, but is this a, a one-man, one-person shop or how many people are, are working behind the scenes at TR? No, I've got about um, a dozen people that work with me. And then we we do a lot of independent work um, specifically because I may not need a designer full time or I may not need a particular skill set full time. But for a particular project, um, I may lean on that person. You know, a great example is some, you know, a historian, you know, someone that can do research um, effectively and professionally. That's not a position that I'm going to keep full time in house, but that I'll farm out as the project requires it. Right. Um, so we have a, a unique blend of being able to 
and especially today, because everything's interconnected, is even internationally, we have a lot of independent contractors that even operate outside the United States and help us out. Um, you know, it, and that's a great thing to be able to reach outstanding talent wherever they are. And in terms of uh, new new social platforms, where where mm-hmm. are you spending time on that? I think it's interesting just from that marketing perspective and hearing about what somebody is doing on that. How do you feel about those pieces, and where are you putting your your limited resources? Yeah, and you're you're absolutely right. It's it's tricky because the advertising budget is a limited resource, right? So you do want to make sure that you're you're betting on you know where you're going to get the best return, but you got to try. Um, I would say that the two platforms that we use the most would be uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we do use Twitter as well and Pinterest. Um, we've we've looked at things like TikTok and and Snapchat and some of the other socials as well. Um, but as far as the conversion rate and looking at you know what the advertisement means and how it's going to convert to an actual sale, which is the objective. We've kind of leaned closer to Facebook and Instagram, um, but we we don't always, uh, depending on what we're trying to do, go that route either. It it really depends. There's a big difference in conversion between promoting like a particular product, for example, or promoting a sale. So, marketing's a marketing's a nice fun game. <laughs> uh, trial by error would be the the best way to try. So let's take a quick break, come back and then talk about sort of like the top performers, what works well um, and what you what you find really sells when it comes to history and where you guys are headed next. And we'll do that right here in PreserveCast. Historic preservation can't happen without skilled tradespeople to perform the work. And there's a critical need right now for those tradespeople. The Campaign for Historic Trades, powered by Preservation Maryland, is working to meet that need by strengthening apprenticeship opportunities within historic trades. In partnership with the National Park Service's Historic Preservation Training Center and Conservation Legacy, the campaign is currently recruiting for NPS Traditional Trades Apprenticeship Program, or TTAP. TTAP's an intensive 20-week apprenticeship that provides young adults the chance to learn historic trade skills while working on America's most iconic historic sites. Multiple positions are open for the 2022 season at national parks across the country. Visit historictrades.org for more information on TTAP and how to apply today. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Today we're joined by Dave Boussier and we are talking about um, the work behind the scenes at TR Historical. We've been talking all about um, how it all kind of came together and uh, how how to kind of market and sell history, how the logistics of how they actually do that um, and the platforms that they're on um, and kind of trying to, to think about some lessons learned here for other sites and groups that are interested in, in sort of marketing and telling their story. And I think that there's some value in kind of just talking through people. Obviously, we'll put a link in the show notes um, to the website so people can jump on there and they can purchase something right away. Um, but and they can get a sense for what you sell there. But in terms of obviously it started with T-shirts, but like what are now the top sellers? Because I think that there might be some some uh, story in there about what that means um, for uh, other sites that are thinking about how they how they tell and market their story. What what really appeals to people? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say the things that are the most appealing to my customers are that which engage them the most um, and give them the opportunity to showcase their passion. If it's something that's um, somewhat generic, it doesn't sell as well as something a bit more specific. And and in a way that allows them to experience history in some way. And I'll give you an example. Um, candles, for example. Uh, when I brought candles onto the company, I, I did not know how they were going to do. It was a test. It was not something that I really had um, a, a ton of faith in. You know, It was like, hey, let's test this and let's see how it goes. Um, and they have done extremely well. And we actually just expanded our candle selection. Um, we had an American Revolution uh, line that we brought in from a partner of ours um, that was outstanding. Uh, they're really great. What do these candles smell like? They smell like uh, mm-hmm. a Revolutionary War battlefield. What is this? What is the smell <laughs> of a Revolutionary War candle? Yeah, and that's interesting, right? Because you you definitely don't want it to smell like that, uh, but. For example, we have like the Victory or Death Candle, which is uh, it features Washington's crossing the Battle of Trenton. And we obviously don't want that to smell like misery. So that's more of a um, like a camps campfire smoke um, and cool winter kind of smell. Um, each one has a little bit of a story behind it. So, for example, um, Peacefield, um, which is where John and Abigail Adams were living. Uh, that one has the scent of the type of wisteria that is on the site that she Mm. planted before she died. So it's got a little bit there. If you were to go to the Monticello candle, there's a cider apple smell. Mount Vernon has a cherry blossom smell, um, to go with, you know, George Washington's favorite drinks. And uh, so each one has a little bit of a different story behind it. Or if, in fact, our new, uh, JFK one has, um, his cologne, uh, sent to it. Um, the D-Day landing has a like a tobacco um, kind of soldier camp smell rather than, you know, the misery part of it. <laughs> so, right. uh, but it's, it's neat because these are things that, you know, candles you can, you can get anywhere, but it has, it's, it's special because it, it has not only a meaning and a story behind it, but it's also sensory. You know, it's something that you can smell and imagine what it might be like, um, you know, in that environment. So that's, I feel like that's, that's just a good example. A good example because you were talking about like experiential gifts associated with history. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. A candle is the perfect example. Are there others mm-hmm. beyond that? Is there? Yeah. Like a- uh, I'll give you another example. Uh, one of my favorites is the, uh, the history nerd mug that features Ben Franklin. And then all around this mug are quotes um, from Ben Franklin. So whenever I'm using it personally, I feel like I'm sitting down having a cup of coffee with Franklin himself because I'm I'm reading all the wit and wisdom, you know, that that he shared across the mug. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a simple thing. It's a mug, but it's an engaging piece because you're reading it and you're intrigued by it. Um, you know, we ha- we actually have a we have a Henry VIII mug where you pour the hot liquid in there and it's got his wives all around him. But when you pour the hot liquid in there, his wives disappear and the wives actually, when they disappear in the silhouette, it tells what, what happened, whether they were beheaded, divorced, you know, et cetera. So it's, it's little fun, interactive um, ways of engaging history. We try to have fun with history too. Uh, Make it exciting and engaging. And I'm sure that that's hard too, because there's a, there's a line like the D-Day candle between fun and the reality of what mm-hmm. happened there. 
Um, and we, so yep. there's that boundary. And I'm sure there's things that have come across ideas that, that you're like, no, we're not going to do that. That's that's very true. <laughs> and I knew when we started, we had to set some ground rules and, and some things to keep us uh, on track and in our lane. Um, you know, and that's not for everybody. And I'm not, I'm not to say to tell anybody else how to do their business, but at TR historical, we have some rules. We, we don't typically feature anyone that's still alive. We only feature the deceased. Um, we don't typically feature anything that is highly politicalized or anything that is going to make it an uncomfortable environment for everyone to shop in. Um, our, our goal is to engage customers in history and, and for that purpose. Um, so there are some things that we don't feature that we just choose to kind of let the other companies go for, um, and make it a safe and fun environment for everybody. Is there a top selling item of all time? Yes, I would say that would be our, um, our, we, the people hat. Um, it's a constitution based hat. It comes, uh, in a, a very good quality brand from a company in Pennsylvania here. And, uh, it's uh, embroidered and it's 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 our best seller by far. Interesting. And um, where does the where does the company kind of go from here? How do you um, continue to grow this thing? Is it just in products? Is it in experience? Is it in periods of history? What is the what does the business plan say over the next two to three years? Which is hard, having lived through a pandemic where we didn't know what the next two to three months were going to look like, but. What is what is the what's the plan for TR Historical? You're right. I mean, when the pandemic hit, that that hit like in year two, <laughs> like at the start of year two. So the business plan um, became, you know, instead of grow and and do all these other things, it was you know stay in business. Uh, but now that fortunately, I I'm very grateful to say that we still have our business and it's thriving. Um, that we can look and put that growth pattern into place. And I would say, um, you know, number one, we, we do have a lot of growth because history itself is so vast. And like I said, we cover so many topics. There's a huge breadth of merchandise expansion that we could do. And there's a lot of products that are in development now um, that we're working on. And we're excited to release a lot of those new products. I'm also excited to really put some emphasis and expansion in the wholesale and distribution through different sites across the country. Um, we've had great partnership, great feedback um, from those sites. They're typically um, state organizations, um, and they really are across the country. We, we, we work with sites all over the place. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there to make an impact as well as grow our business, but really make an impact and help those organizations succeed. And then eventually, um, you know, longer term, I am I, definitely open to the opportunity of opening like a flagship store in a highly historic location, but it's a specialized retail business. So it has to be the right spot in the right time. Yeah. It's got to be uh, Gettysburg or Philadelphia yeah. or, or exactly. some place like that. Um, well, it's, it's exciting to have you here and, and really just interesting to kind of open the door to a business that has made history sell and also has been able to, you know, capture people's minds and imaginations, which is what a lot of people working in history and preservation are trying to do. So it's always good to hear from somebody who's succeeding in doing that. We'll put links in the show notes so people can jump in, take a look at it if they run a historic site or know somebody that does and are looking at doing wholesale. 
um, they can uh, get in touch with you that way. Um, we do ask everybody before they leave if you have a favorite historic place or site. Yeah, I you know it's it's really hard to pick. I I have to say that my heart always goes back to Gettysburg because I think as a kid that's where the transition from learning about it in the book to to actually seeing things in the field really made a difference for me. Um, so I kind of think of Gettysburg as like my home away from home. Um, so I would probably say that I know I know that's a broad brush because there's a lot of different places in Gettysburg. <laughs> yeah, you know? well, I, I think it's a I think it's a good answer and and uh, serendipitous because right be, right before I came back to record this episode, I was having lunch in Gettysburg today. So uh, no kidding, perfect timing. Uh, drove the Emmitsburg Road today, so um, it's uh, it's been fun to have you on here and um, looking forward to seeing uh, where you head next. We'll have to have you on as you uh, release a new product line. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dave. Wonderful. Thank you, Nick, for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.